0: Welcome to the Dark Wales Tours podcast with me, Matthew Rose. As night draws in, darkness envelops the room. Silence takes hold. Suddenly it's there, a deep, piercing growling. From the corner, the glowing eyes blare around. The hound of hell has returned, and this time he is not alone. On this last episode of Season 1 of the Dark Wales Tours podcast, I will be delving into the history and ghost stories of a castle that is still in use, and it is a favourite with royalty from all over the world. Various princes and princesses have come to South Wales to complete their education, studying and staying at the imposing St Donat's Castle. Described as the oldest, continuously inhabited castle in Wales, St. Donat's Castle has passed through various hands since the first stones were laid in the 12th century and is now owned by the Atlantic College, which is part of the United World Colleges. Overlooking the Bristol Channel, the site of St. Donat's Castle has been occupied since the Iron Age and tells us that the site was the home of the Celtic chieftain Caradoc, otherwise known as King Caraticus, famous in his time for resisting the Roman invasion and persuading Emperor Claudius to spare his life after defeat. Today, he is more well known as the subject of the comedy song, The Court of King Caraticus. After the Norman invasion, the land came into the hands of the Dehoy family, who built the keep and the inner ward in the 12th century. The castle then passed through marriage into the Stradling family when Sir Peter Stradling married the De Hoy heiress, Joan. In 1300, Sir Peter started the extension of the castle. The Stradling family were adventurers from Switzerland who came to South Wales in the late 13th century. They held on to St. Donna's Castle for the next 400 years. Immersing themselves into life in Wales and Britain as a whole, the Stradlings served as magistrates, MPs, sheriffs and deputy lieutenants of Glamorganshire from the 13th century when they acquired St. Donna's Castle to the 18th century when their immediate line died out. Never far from royal favor, Edward Stradling III married King Edward III's great granddaughter, Jane Beaufort, and also fought alongside his wife's cousin, Henry V at the Battle of Agincourt. However, during the reign of King Henry VIII, the Stradlings fell from favor as they remained Catholic during the Reformation. And Sir Thomas Stradling was even imprisoned in the Tower of London after allegations that he had used the appearance of a cross in the trunk of a tree on his estate at St. Donat's, to gather local Catholic support against the king. This treatment at the hands of a king did not stop the straddlings from supporting the royalist cause when civil war broke out between King Charles I and Parliament, headed of course by Oliver Cromwell. On the 8th of May 1648, The Battle of St. Fagans was fought on the ground that is now occupied by the St. Fagans National Museum of History. As part of the Royalist army were three Stradlings prepared to die for their cause. After the battle which was a victory for the Parliamentarian army, two of the Stradlings were forced into exile. Favour was restored with the restoration of the monarchy of the reign of King Charles II. The Stradlings continued to occupy St. Donat's Castle and serve the community as MPs. All this came to an end in 1738 when the young Sir Thomas Stradling died in France during a duel. Sir Thomas and a university friend, Sir John Terwitt, had decided to do a grand tour of Europe. This was very common For young aristocratic men It was a form of gap year Where they would travel around The great cities of Europe Before settling down to the responsibilities Of their estates and families Before they left They made a pact Which would bring the straddling hold On St Donna's castle to an end The pact stated That if one of them died on the tour Then the other would inherit everything While in France, an argument broke out. Sources differ on whether it was between Thomas and John or Thomas and another man, but nonetheless, it ended in a duel. The duel was a common but dangerous way to settle arguments and unfortunately, Sir Thomas Stradling lost the duel and was shot directly in the eye. Upon returning to Wales, Sir John Turwet revealed the pact and produced documentation that backed up his story. The extended Stradling family tried to fight for their land, even going as far as to accuse Sir John of organizing the whole thing in order to get his hands on the Stradling inheritance. However, in the end, the courts recognized the pact as a legal will and St. Donat's Castle, along with the Stradling fortune, passed to Sir John Terwitt. Under the Tirwitz, St. Donat's Castle fell into decline. In 1862, Dr. John Whitlock Nicolcane, who claimed to be descended from the Stradlings, bought the castle from the Tirwitz. Dr. John carried out various repairs on the castle, but the majority of the repairs were done under the ownership of Morgan Williams, a colliery owner from Aberpegum, who owned the castle between 1901 and 1909. The first suggestions of Saint Donna's Castle as a haunted location come from Morgan's son Godfrey Williams who always disliked the castle as he claimed it was a very haunted place. So much was his fear of the place that he sold it in 1921 to the American diplomat Richard Pennier, who was the husband of the Dowager Countess of Shrewsbury. However Richard Pennypacker only owned it for four years. In 1925, he sold it to the newspaper tycoon and fellow American, William Randolph Hearst. Arriving for the first time in 1928, Hearst took a nighttime tour of the castle and the next day, on his way back to America, wrote a letter detailing the improvements and repairs he wanted carried out on the castle. Over the next decade, Hurst spent the equivalent of four months at the castle, usually staying during his tours of Europe. These visits, though infrequent, did, however, bring some very famous visitors to St Donat's Castle. These included the actors Charlie Chaplin, Errol Flynn, and Clark Gable, politicians including Winston Churchill, David Lloyd George, and a young. John F. Kennedy, who visited with his parents, and writers included Eleanor O'Dlin, Ivan Novello, and Bernard Shaw. During the 1930s, as the Great Depression took hold, the Hearst Media Empire fell, and St. Donuts was put up for sale in 1937. As time went by, and no buyer came forward, it was decided to sell the furniture, silver, and works of art instead. This was done in a series of sales and auctions conducted by Christie's starting in 1939. The castle was requisitioned by the government during World War II and it was used by British and American troops. William Randolph Hearst did not return to the castle after the war, but he did let his friends use it when they were in the area. This included the comedian Bob Hope who stayed in St. Donat's Castle in May 1951 during his visit to the seaside town of Puthcall for a golf tournament. Bob Hope was probably one of the last of Hearst's friends to stay as Hearst died in August 1951. The castle then remained on the market for a further nine years. In 1960, it was finally purchased by Antonin Besse II. He was the patron and vice president of the United World Colleges and almost immediately donated St. Donat's Castle to the founding council of the Atlantic College. The Atlantic College was founded by Kurt Hahn, the founder of Gordonstone, and Air Marshal Sir Lawrence Darville, the commandant of the NATO Defense College. The two men conceived the idea of a college for 16 to 19 year olds drawn from a wide range of nationalities and backgrounds with the aim of fostering international understanding and cooperation. St. Donald's Castle opened its doors to the first students in 1962. However, even though the college is always looking to the future, it seems the castle's history will not go quietly. Over the years people have reported seeing and hearing some very strange things. These include hearing wailing ghosts of stormy nights, seeing ghostly animals roam in the halls, and even seeing the vision of a hideous hag in the library. The ghostly experiences of Saint Donna's Castle have been reported for centuries, even before Godfrey Williams claimed the castle was haunted in the early 1900s. There have been stories of ghostly occurrences reaching back to the early days of the castle. One ghostly figure that has been witnessed is that of a lady. A lady that even though her identity is known has been seen as a death omen, as her appearance always seemed to coincide with the death. This ghost is said to be that of Lady Anne Stradling, whose husband, it is said, died on crusade. She was said to always return to the castle when a member of the Stradling family was soon to die. Lady Anne was not the only death omen that was spoken of as being seen and heard around St. Donat's castle. Much like a Philly castle, St. Donat's seems to be the home of a Grach ribbon, whose wailing was said to warn of imminent death. Or, like mentioned in previous episodes, the Grach ribbon might even be the cause of death itself. Another story from St. Donat's Castle that ties in with a previous episode comes from the mid 18th century. During this time, St. Donna's Castle was the home of a miser who hoarded his wealth and never shared it with his fellow man. The whole community knew of his wealth, but never saw him spend any more than he absolutely had to. After he died, his housekeeper, a usually jolly, outgoing, middle-aged woman, started to lose weight rapidly and began to withdraw into herself. When friends eventually inquired as to what was wrong, The housekeeper revealed that ever since the Miser had died, she had been visited by his ghost who tormented her night and day, calling out for her to help him. Concerned that the ghost of the Miser might cause their friend even more harm, the group of friends decided to consult a priest. The priest visited the housekeeper and concluded that an exorcism would be enough to drive the spirit of the Miser away. That night, the priest, the housekeeper and her friends gathered in St. Donat's Castle to try and exorcise the miser. During the exorcism, the housekeeper suddenly screamed and pointed to the corner of the room. He is here, she cried. The group turned to look but they could see nothing. The housekeeper then asked what the miser wanted. No one in the group could hear the answer. But the housekeeper got up and ran to the chimney, removing a loose brick. She revealed a hidden bag full of coins, money that the miser had hidden away. Before anyone could ask questions, the housekeeper ran from the castle and headed towards St. Donat's Bay. When she got to the edge of the sea, she threw the bag of coins into the sea as far as she could. Upon returning to the castle, The ghost appeared to all the group and said that now the hidden coins had been washed away he could now rest in peace the ghost then vanished never to be seen again whether this story is true or not is open to debate however it does demonstrate the tradition and legend of the hauntings at st donat's castle not all of the ghosts of st donat's however can be appeased so easily. During the time that Dr. Kahn lived at St. Donuts he and his family experienced several paranormal phenomena. The first sign that something was not quite right about St. Donuts was the family piano would spontaneously spring into life. Now unlike the piano music heard at the Prince of Wales in Kenfig which was an atmospheric echo, the piano music at St. Donuts came from an actual piano that was seen to be playing by itself. One night, Dr. Khan was locking up the house and was about to climb the stairs when he heard a deep growl coming from a dark corner of the hallway. As he moved closer to investigate, he was suddenly confronted with a pair of glowing amber eyes appearing out of the darkness. This was quickly followed by the sound of scratching on the window. Dr. Khan made his way towards the window and peered out to see what was making the noise. To his horror he saw the outline of a hag dressed in rags and accompanied by a large black dog. He knew at once it was the Hag of the Mist with the Cunanan, the Hound of Hell. This was not the first time the hag and the hound had been seen around St. Donat's Castle. Local legend says that on the night that Sir Thomas Stradling was killed in the duel, the servants of the castle saw the hag with a large black dog of hell walking out of the mist and towards the castle gates. This was how they learned of their master's untimely death. Dr. Khan's last experience could also be linked to Thomas Stradling's death. Dr. Khan and his wife were asleep when suddenly a bright light illuminated the room. The light then turned into a giant red eye that glared at the frightened couple before vanishing leaving the room in complete darkness. Torn between wanting to flee the ghostly experiences and wanting to live in the castle he loved Dr. Khan contacted an exorcist. When the exorcist arrived, he went into the bedroom and began to pray. The giant red eye appeared and the castle grew cold. There was an almighty wind that swept through the castle and Dr. Khan saw the hag float down the stairs and out the front door. The exorcist came back down and said that the spirits were tied to the previous family and that he wasn't sure if he had managed to exercise them. It doesn't seem that he had been successful. Even after the Atlantic College opened, students have reported seeing ghostly figures and hearing footsteps echoing all around them when there's nobody anywhere in the vicinity. One such experience occurred in 1996. A student was studying in the castle late into the night, and it wasn't until the early hours of the morning that he finally left. On his way out, he saw a figure of a man blocking the exit of the castle. Thinking it was a teacher, and knowing he was way past curfew, he hid behind a wall. When he peered back, the figure had simply vanished. As he made his way past the spot where he had seen the figure, he heard the definitive sound of footsteps behind him. As he turned around he saw nothing that could be making this sound but the footsteps followed him all the way out of the castle. Could it be that the ghost of Sir Thomas Stradling still roams the halls and courtyards of St. Donat's Castle? Replaying happier times when he filled the rooms with sounds of laughter and music before his friend took everything from him. St Donat's Castle has seen many people walk its halls and whether it be as a defensive keep, a grand castle or a college campus it seems St Donat's still retains the spirits of its former inhabitants. Since the college opened the castle has gone from strength to strength attracting many influential and entrepreneurial students and staff alike. The first headmaster, Desmond Horray, for example, patented the first rigid-hulled inflatable boat, which in an act of generosity he sold to the Royal National Lifeboat Institution for a mere one pound. The RNLI never cashed in the cheque and it remains in the castle. St. Donuts has had a long history with boats and hosted an RNLI lifeboat station from 1963 right up until 2013. In 1967 Lord Louis Mountbatten became the president of the United World Colleges and took a keen personal interest in its growth. The presidency was then passed on to his great nephew Prince Charles the Prince of Wales. Today the presidents of the UWC are Queen of Jordan and Queen Elizabeth II. These are not the only royals to have connections with St Donna's Castle. Former students include King William Alexander of the Netherlands, Princess Raya bint Hussein of Jordan, and Princess Elizabeth of Belgium. The term of 2021 will see Princess Lenore, heir apparent of King Philip IV of Spain, and Princess Alexia of the Netherlands, continuing their education at St. Donald's Castle. Throughout this podcast, we have seen that Wales is a land of mystery and magic, traditions and superstitions that still survive to this very day. It is a land full of castles and ghosts in equal measure, from the tragic spirits that roam the roads and pathways to the spirits of monks that still appear at Gladstone Villa. Many ladies of Welsh history still appear at their former homes and places of work, from Princess Nest of Carrow Castle to Nurse Eileen Rees of the Cardiff Royal Infirmary. The night air fills with the cries of the ghostly ape at Carrow Castle and the wailing of the Cahirife calling for the soon to be deceased. It is a land where witches and fairies roam and make mischief and the devil builds bridges and homes, wanting your soul in exchange. And thanks to Saint David, the patron saint of Wales, can Corf appear to warn people of imminent death? Or do they in fact cause the death by luring you off cliff tops? Wales has many more stories and legends to be revealed, so keep a lookout for season two of the Dark Wales Tours podcast due to premiere in early August 2021. Thank you so very much for joining me for this and every other episode of Season 1 of the Dark Wales Tours podcast. Your support and loyalty are greatly appreciated and we look forward to bringing you more myths, legends, history and ghosts of this magical and mystical country. So, if you have your own story you wish to share with us, then please email us at darkwaleshotmail.com. at hotmail.com. Please like and share this episode, and don't forget to listen to the previous episodes of Season 1. Also, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter for news on Season 2, and also updates on our ghost tours around various locations throughout Wales. Until next season... Jochen Vaur, thank you very much. The Dark Wales Tours podcast is produced and delivered by Matthew Rose and Luke Alcock, owners of Dark Wales Tours.